Brother Dale. Well, I brought my back up, but uh, a miracle happened while I was on the way back there. This thing was raised from the dead, and uh, I was about ready to kill it myself. Let's uh, turn to John chapter 3. By the way, um, there may be some new people here who don't understand my situation. I'm just going to say it real quick. I have really, really, really bad eyesight. And uh, it's been deteriorating. And people ask me from time to time, how are your eyes? Just, just to kind of be accurate, my eyes are fine. My problem is the optic nerve that carries the signals from my uh, retina back to my brain. Is, that's what, where the problem is. I have optic nerve atrophy. And so it just can't get the eyes, everything they see. It's like the cable's been cut going back to my brain. And it can't carry all the information. So everything's blurry and messed up. And I literally just, somebody might say, why don't you carry a Bible? Because I can't read off of the printed page like that anymore. But I can use technology. Like uh, this Kindle works really well for me. And... Uh, you know, or as best as anything can. And so uh, I use that, and so I'm thankful because uh, the Apostle Paul apparently had really bad eyesight because he talked about, I signed this with my own hand, see the large letters. That would indicate he had some problems too, but he had no way to correct any of that or to compensate for it. I cannot correct it. There's no cure for this, but uh, there is ways, uh, there are ways, pardon me, that I can compensate for it. So that's why I need that and that's why it's kind of distressing when something like that uh, messes up or happens. So today if you'll turn to the book of John and chapter 3 and we'll go ahead and we'll look a little bit more where we were last week. John the Baptist gave a great testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and he makes that statement that really ought to be the motto of every church and every member of every church, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, my problem is I don't really like to decrease. Uh, well, losing weight is nice, but that's not really what that's talking about. It's talking about when we fade into the background, into obscurity, when we're not spotlighted, when we're not appreciated, when we're not made to be a big deal for what we do, and all the glory goes to the Lord, our flesh just screams out against that. No, it's not fair. I should get my de what I deserve. I should get attention. I should get recognition. Don't people know what all I have done? And uh, the Bible would say, no, bow before the Lord, give all the glory unto the Lord, not in a fake way or even a showy way. Some people will say those kind of things and act very humble because they're still drawing attention to themselves. And that's not what we want to do. And the context of this is that John and Jesus uh, and his disciples, they were both in the kind of a, a, a close region and they were having meetings and baptisms and that kind of thing. And John the Baptist's disciples notice that all of a sudden Jesus is more famous than John the Baptist. What gives and what goes on. And they come to John the Baptist and say, Hey, that guy that you spotlighted, that you said, Behold the Lamb of God and gave attention to him. Everybody's going to him now. And so John tells them, He must increase and I must decrease. And you know, something I find as I read through this chapter, he didn't do that depressed. He didn't do that, well, I guess it's just his time. He did it with joy. He rejoiced in it. 
So how much joy do you get when people don't notice you, but they notice Jesus? How much joy do you get when God uses you, maybe in a very public way one time, and then says, okay, that's enough, and he lets you fade into the background? Do you do that with joy? Because that's the way that it is when we are walking in the Spirit and when we are right with God. And so John wasn't pouting and John wasn't faking anything here. And uh, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, as we move on to these uh, particular verses in um, uh, verse 31 of John chapter 3, we find out why. Why is it that Jesus must increase and we have to, in a sense, just get out of the way? Get out of the way. Quit making so much about us. Quit making it about us. Do you know anybody that every situation that comes up, they have to make it about them? It's annoying, isn't it? Well, here in God's eternal plan, what God is saying is, quit making it about you. This is about me, and we've got to honor Christ. So John 3, verse 31, if you found it, would you uh, say amen? He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth or of earthly things. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies or makes known and no one receives his testimony. It has a tendency to be rejected for the most part, in other words. He goes on to say, He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. Another translation I like a little bit better says, For God gives the Spirit without measure. In other words, he poured it out upon Christ, not like he did the prophets, just a limited thing, but measureless. Okay, let's move on. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Oh, this hurts. But the wrath of God abides on him. John the Baptist, testifying of Christ. So today, really, there are only two kinds of people. Those who, are, who have the wrath of God upon them and those who have the saving uh, life of Christ upon them. Really, that's only the only kind of people that there are on the earth. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what century you live in. I don't care what your degrees are educationally. I don't care how athletic you may be. I don't care what your economic situation is. It really boils down into two categories, lost and saved. And if you're saved, you have the love of God and you have eternal life already. And if you're lost, well, you're condemned already, we saw in earlier verses, and the wrath of God abides upon you. Uh, we look at that and we go, wow, that is, that is pretty strong, and people may take offense at that, but I don't uh, worry about that too much because I didn't say it. Y you get that? Those are not my words. That is the scripture, and that's what it says. So take it uh, up with God if you have a problem with it. And so uh, John is giving us the explanation 
Why is he okay with Jesus increasing, having bigger crowds, being more famous, and while his crowds are dwindling and while he is going down in popularity, how do you handle something like that? Because uh, if we were to talk maybe today, we'd say, well, he didn't get as many likes on his Facebook page. Um, he didn't, his ratings weren't as high, Nielsen ratings or something like that, or his crowds weren't as big, or maybe his offerings weren't what they used to be. And John said, none of that matters as long as Jesus gets the glory. Now, John is not being persecuted at this particular point. That's not what this is about. This is not about because the devil's after him or because the world is after him. This is the plan and the will of God. John is the forerunner. He brings the spotlight to Christ, and then the spotlight stays on Christ and off of John. And notice here how John is actually happy about that, and he gives us reason. So let's talk about these. I know with the hour moving up, it's kind of nice when you come to church, but it also means you get hungry earlier. So uh, let's look at uh, point number one. Why should Jesus increase and we must decrease? Well, number one, because he is from heaven and is supreme. Now, you know, the Mormon doctrine is that uh, there, was, there is a God, and the God that rules over earth is married, and he used to be a human like us, but he has ascended to be the God over the earth, and there are gods and goddesses over every planet, and uh, they have sexual relations and have children, and those children are us. And so all of these babies are in heaven, and then they are sent down to earth, sent down to earth, sent down to earth, sent down to earth. And uh, that's kind of funny because I remember seeing that in cartoons. I think some Bugs Bunny cartoons had babies being sent down from heaven. That's actually what Mormons teach and what they believe. And they believe that if you are following the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, Book of Mormon, and to a certain extent the King James Version of the Bible then you will ascend when you die to a, a certain heaven. And if you are a really good Mormon, you'll go to the top heaven. You will get your own planet, have your own spirit children someday. Brigham Young is famous for the statement saying that as man is, God once was. And as God is, man will become. Okay? That's not found in Scripture anywhere. It's not even hinted at in the Word of God. In other words, uh, we were not souls up in heaven that God said, Number 325, you're up! And go down. It, it's not like that at all. And your baby was not heaven sent, heaven made perhaps, created by God, but he wasn't up in heaven just waiting for his or her opportunity to come down. Or that would make these verses completely irrelevant. Because John makes the distinction. He who comes from above is above all. Who is, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. Now, notice the two uh, contradistinctions there. There's one who comes from heaven to earth and brings us a heavenly message and has heavenly power and anointing upon him. And that's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not you. It's not me. It wasn't even John the Baptist. Because when John says, he who is of the earth is earthly and uh, speaks of the earth. You know what he's talking about there? Himself. 
John is saying the difference between my ministry and the ministry of Christ is I was conceived here down on earth. I was born here on earth. I was raised by earthly people. I lived down here and I speak of this realm. But Christ is different. He existed before the creation of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And Jesus is telling us of things we can't conceive of. Jesus is bringing the truth of the Word of God down to us. John's saying, I do the best I can do, but I have an earthly perspective and I'm limited in what I know, what I understand, and of what I can speak because we came from two different places. So Jesus must increase because he is from heaven and is supreme. Okay? And uh, it says, he who comes from heaven is above all. He reigns. He's sovereign. He sits on a throne. Now, it's interesting that uh, John... The uh, uh, writer here uses words that say things like above and above all and from above, that type of things. They're all linked together. Because back in the, the earlier chapter when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says to Nicodemus after Nicodemus says, we know you're from God and all of that. And Jesus just looked at him and said, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. That born again in the original language is born from above. In other words, you earthlings need a birth that comes from heaven. Now, you're not going to take the place of Jesus or do anything like that. That would be kind of weird. But you can experience a new birth, a birth that is not earthly, a birth that is not fleshly, a birth that is not something that we see down here on earth all the time but a birth that can only come from above, that can come from God, because Jesus came from heaven so that we might experience that new birth and to be born from above. And so all of those kind of things tie together. It's kind of interesting. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to reveal that kingdom and literally to bring us into that kingdom because uh, he is the one that uh, is above anything that is on earth. So John the Baptist is saying, look, he's above me. He's the blessed controller of all things. He's the sovereign over all things. And he stepped down and humbled himself, emptied himself of all the rights and privileges that he could have as God, humbled himself and became obedient as a servant on this earth, even obedient to the point of death. Remember, John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God. What do you do with a lamb? you kill it it's sacrificed it sheds its blood on behalf of guilty sinners and that's the purpose of Jesus so Jesus must increase because he comes from heaven and uh, he is different than us John was limited in his time he uh, was limited in his ability limited in his knowledge and uh, all of this points to his limitations, and Jesus is the unlimited one, the God-man who came from above to walk upon this earth. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, Jesus must increase because he is the truth. Now, I would uh, like to think that we live in the truth, that we tell the truth, that we believe the truth, that we're a part of the truth, but uh, there's a lot of, lot of lying that goes on 
in all of our lives. Sometimes it's a kind of lie where we deceive others, and other times it's like what we saw in our Sunday school lesson this morning, we deceive ourselves. And there are those times when everybody else can see where we stumble, where our flaws are, where we're messed up, but we can't. And we walk around in such pride and arrogance, like everything's great with us, and people can see through all of that. But Jesus was different than us. He always lived in the truth. And uh, think about this. He is the truth whether anyone believes it or not. He's not uh, being voted into office for example. Do you believe? Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Okay, there's one. Okay, there's one. How are we doing with the Arabic vote? And how are we doing with the Jewish vote? And how are we doing with the English vote? And how Jesus is not concerned about anything about that at all. Whatever Jesus says, whatever the Word of God says is true even if you don't believe it. Somebody can say, well, I don't believe in gravity at all. Sorry. That changes absolutely nothing. And whatever you think or believe about Jesus does not diminish him one bit. He is the truth and he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him and everything that he says is true. And that's why John testified and what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives this testimony. Does that mean no one's ever going to be saved? No. It's just saying, speaking of the natural state of man, that when a person first hears the gospel, they go, what kind of hogwash is this? What kind of fantasy is this? What kind of weird doctrine is this? And uh, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that anybody comes to believe. Because later in this same passage we're looking at, John talks about those who don't believe and then he talks about those who believe. Well, how does anyone who doesn't receive his testimony ever come to certify or affirm that God is true? And that is by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you're better. It's not because you're brilliant. It's not because you're of a special kind of people. It's simply because of this. The Holy Spirit of God testifies of Christ. He brings conviction of sin. And he brings us into the truth. And so it was the work of God and not the work of man. And so John even understands that. And uh, you think about Romans chapter 3, verse 11, and that's actually a quotation from the Psalms. Uh, Paul says, no one understands. Now, again, does that mean no one ever gets it? No, that's why we're saved. But the reason is, it's not by human or natural ability. It's a work of the Spirit of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that the natural man cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Something has to happen. And that's why we pray for lost people. That's why we don't get them and tackle them and, and put a sword to their throat and say, pray the sinner's prayer or die, because that's not how it works. It works because the Spirit of God brings conviction upon their life. Only God can change a heart. So don't quit praying for lost friends and lost family members and all of that. And so... Uh, when you think about that, no one comes to his testimony on their own. It's something that God has to show them. And that, of course, is the work of the Holy Spirit. So 
That's number two. That's the second reason why Jesus must increase and we must decrease. We really are helpless when you think about it. We can't extend our life. We can't form our life or anything like that. Uh, that God is the one who is in control of all of that. So we must exalt him and lift him up. You can't even, as Jesus said, you can't even add one, one cubit to your stature. Right? So who do you think you are anyway? God's the only one who can do that. Number three. Let's think about this. He must increase because he is trustworthy. Do you realize if there's any time, any time you don't glorify the Lord, you are saying you're wrong. Now, we would never say that. But anytime we go the other way, anytime we disobey, anytime we live for the pleasures of the flesh, anytime we do what feels right to do that violates God's will, God's law, God's word, we're basically saying, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I know the Bible says, turn the other cheek, but you don't know what you're talking about. Boom. Right? I know the Bible says that we're to be angry and sin not, but I'm going to be angry and sin too, because I don't think you're right. And so uh, that is our big flaw, and that's where we are. Because if I don't think that God is right and deserving of the glory, deserving of my time, deserving of my money, deserving of my talents or anything like that, I'm basically saying, that then who is? You're looking at him. Now, how prideful is that? And how horrible is that? And that's the way people live. And that's the way, if we're not careful, that's the way we can lapse into that kind of stuff and we make it all about us. Church is not really so much about do we worship God. It's do I feel good when I go there? Did I get anything out of it? Now, again, I hope you do feel good and I hope you do get something out of it. But that's not the main goal. The main goal is that Jesus Christ must increase and we must decrease and we must take him at his word. For he whom God uh, sent has spe uh, speaks the words of God. Notice that. For God does not give the spirit uh, by measure. In other words, when you uh, look at Isaiah, Isaiah wrote a book. And that book, the book of Isaiah in your Bible, was written under the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's breathed out by God. So Isaiah was writing that down and he was writing it down uh, through the breath of God, the spirit of God flowing through him. By the way, in Hebrew and Greek, both the word for spirit and breath is the exact same word. So Isaiah was working under the ruach of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God, and he wrote that down. Now, was it way, that way every time Isaiah spoke? No. He even said in Isaiah chapter 6 that he was a man of what kind of lips? Unclean lips. So he didn't do that all the time because for the prophets, the spirit would come upon them and then withdraw, come upon them and then withdraw, come upon them and withdraw. But Jesus is a different kind of prophet. He has the Holy Spirit upon him all the time and it is without measure. Isaiah had some of the spirit for a certain period of time. Jesus had all of the spirit all of the time for everything that he did. And you know the amazing thing? 
In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers. So the moment you were saved, God himself came to live inside of you permanently and forever. And uh, as you yield to him, you are filled with the Spirit. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you speak in tongues or do anything like that or act crazy. It means that your life is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God in everything. Your thoughts, your decisions, your emotions, your actions, all of those kind of things are under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Wouldn't that be a great way to live all the time? Now, the Spirit never leaves you, but there are times when you are yielded and there are times when you are trying to wrestle control and trying to take the wheel and trying to drive and trying to control things and uh, you always end up in a mess. But Jesus is the only one who had the Spirit without measure. The Spirit never left him. And he never violated anything that the Spirit wanted him to do. Completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing? And can you imagine, if you were in the presence of Jesus, you couldn't help but notice and say, there's something different about him there is something special about him and oh that people could say that about us folks that in everything we do and in the trials we face in the valleys and the darkness we go through that people could say you're different what is the difference and there again what happens he must increase and we must decrease we put the spotlight on Jesus and we give all the glory to him and we do that because he is trustworthy you've got to know the word of God now the Hebrew thought the spirit of God had uh, two functions first the spirit revealed God's truth to men and second the spirit enabled them to recognize and understand uh, that truth when it uh, came to them. In other words, the reason we have the Spirit of God is because if we did not, we'd have no idea what's right or wrong, what's good or bad. Somebody that could come to your door, they knock on the door and they claim to be uh, witnesses of Jehovah, or they claim to be Mormons who have another testament of Jesus Christ, you'd all fall for it. We'd all fall for it. We would say, well, they seem to be nice. They seem to be clean. They seem to be moral. They seem to have some good ideas. But there's a difference between the word of God and the work of man. And it is the spirit of God that guides us into all truth. It's the spirit of God that gives you any ability to, first of all, be interested in the word of God and salvation. And secondly, to understand anything that God says. He is our guide into all truth and this is a man who had the full spirit of God working in his life and he was the one do you remember that John the Baptist said I baptize with water no big deal that's an earthly substance that is everywhere he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit now that is a big deal to be immersed in the Spirit of God to be filled with the Spirit of God to be indwelt with the Spirit of God we have a position that even the great prophets in the Old Testament couldn't even fathom. Always in the presence of God, constantly having the power of God upon you for every situation in life is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it from that perspective. You think about Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 
that uh, God is not a man that he should lie. So you can trust everything that Jesus said, and you can trust the word that he has given us, his Bible. Chapter, uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Isn't that amazing? God cannot lie because he is a God of truth. And Hebrews 6 18 says, It is impossible for God to lie. As we think about other verses, Proverbs 30, verse 5, Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure and is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. And Psalm 119, verse 160, the longest chapter in the Bible says, the entirety of your word is truth. Okay, now how can you make those bold statements and how does that tie into what John said about Jesus? Because Jesus being completely dominated by the Holy Spirit, having the Spirit with him without measure, and because he is the God-man and it's impossible for God to lie, it means that when you open up your Bible you will find that when it speaks of history, it's not a history book, but when it speaks of history, it tells the truth. When it talks about people, it's not a book on anthropology or anything or psychology or anything like that. But whenever it addresses those things, it tells the truth. And especially when it talks about God and it talks about salvation and it talks about sacrifice and it talks about how to gain eternal life and come into the kingdom of God, it always tells the truth. In other words, you're not just left on your own to fend for yourself and to try to figure it out for yourself. The Holy Spirit brings that truth to you and the, the Holy Spirit draws you into that truth and uh, that happens because God, the Holy Spirit, cannot, the Bible says, lie. And so we can trust this because Jesus is dominated by the Spirit because all Scripture is given by uh, uh, God, by inspiration of God, and is profitable. And it's profitable for what? For doctrine, what we believe, for reproof, for confronting us when we're wrong, for correction, telling us how to get right, and for instruction, telling us how to stay right and we all need that. And that's why Jesus could say so confidently and assert this in John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so John is saying, Jesus always tells the truth. And by extension, he does that because he's God and he cannot lie. And he does that also because he is dominated by the Spirit at all times. And so there are no lies, no misrepresentation, no mistakes that come out of the mouth of Jesus because of who he is. So follow him and trust him because he is the truth. Truth is not just a fact on a page that we believe. It's a person in whom we place our trust. The way, the truth, and the life. That's why Jesus must increase and we must decrease. All we've got is speculation. All we've got is a bunch of opinions. All we've got is a depraved group of people and society and culture that can twist even the good things and make good things look evil and make evil things look good. That's a picture of the world in which we are living now. And that's because we look to everything but Jesus and his word because he always tells 
the truth. So he must increase and we must decrease because we made a big fat mess out of everything on this earth and in our society. We can't even get religion right, can we? That's just the way it is. Number four, because he is ruler of all. How many times do we need to hear that? The father loves the son and has given, look at this, all things into his hand. You know, some people kind of think of the Trinity as God is first string, Jesus is second string, and the Holy Spirit is third string. Nothing could be farther from the truth. They are equal in their nature and attributes uh, in a way that we can't even explain it. And we can't even really understand it. One God expressed in three persons, and they're all equal, co-equal in their nature and their attributes. So Jesus, as God, has God the Holy Spirit and God the Father working through him. I mean, you see the Trinity. Jesus is baptized, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is standing there in the water as the Son of God, and then the Holy Spirit comes and, uh, in the form of a dove. And so we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people think the Trinity, well, it's like water. Sometimes it's water, sometimes it's steam, and sometimes it's ice. No, because you can have steam without having ice, and you can have liquid without having the gas and all of that. You cannot have the Father without the Son and without the Holy Spirit. Some say he's like an egg, the shell and the white and the yolk, and, and one egg and, and yet in three parts. And yet all three of those things can exist separately. You can separate the uh, uh, yolk from the white of the egg, you can certainly separate the shell, and you can't do that with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal nature and attributes, and all together they make up what we call the Godhead. And so as we think about uh, this, the Father loves the Son because he can't do anything else. That is his Son, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and all things have been given into his hands. And the Father has said, this is yours. Judgment has been committed unto Jesus. And I know people say that he would never judge anyone. That's why I love Jesus and only read the red letter parts of the Bible. You've heard those kind of things. But John chapter 5 verse 22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. See how this works? Because of the, the obedience of Christ coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, Philippians 2 said the Father has exalted him and given him the name that is above all others, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So they're all involved in it and Jesus is the focal point in the book of Colossians, it says that in all things, Jesus might have the preeminence. And that is kind of an amazing thing because there's no jealousy. God the Father is not jealous of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not jealous of Jesus. But they all work together to fulfill the perfect plan that they laid out before the foundation of the world. And uh, that centers upon Christ. And Christ is the one that gets the glory for it by the decree of the Trinity. Okay, number five. Why should Jesus have preeminence? Why should he increase while we decrease? And that's because he saves sinners like us. 
Let's don't ever think about the fact that we are different than the world and uh, we're superior to them, we're better than them, and we would never do all those things that we do. Listen, right here in this room is the capacity for everything Hitler did and worse. Right here in this room is the capacity for every sort of moral perversity that you could ever think of and worse. We have that capability in us because of our depravity. The only thing good in us is Jesus. Paul the Apostle said, uh, In my flesh, that is in me, dwells no good thing. When are we going to remember that? So as we look at the world, they're acting like lost people. Can you believe it? Huh? What do you expect them to act like? And that's the way you acted too. Read Ephesians chapter 2 again and what it was like when you were dead in your trespasses and sins and who was dominating your life when you were in their shoes. So have some compassion. Think about why Jesus came. He came to save sinners like us. Paul said this is a faithful and trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And then he put this on it. Of whom I am chief. You know why? Because he didn't look down his nose at anybody because they were lost. Or because they were a sinner. He understood. In fact, he put himself in the supreme position as being the chief of sinners. You see that? And when we think about people who are lost, why should we care? Well, because it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not have life. This is crazy. But the wrath of God abides on him. I don't care how much he or she laughs. I don't care how much he or she is enjoying life and taking their private jets to San Tropez for a vacation while they lecture us on global warming with our cars. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how many people like them, how, much, how, how famous they may be. They have one thing that we can't see and they can't see, and we ought to because of the Scripture. The wrath of God abides on them. Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, we can certainly pray for them. Do you pray for lost people to be saved? When you see a lost person acting like a lost person, do you just get angry or prideful and I can't see how they could act like that? What's wrong with them? They're lost. They're dead. Just like you were. Right? Pray for them. The fields are white, ready to be harvested, Jesus said. But the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth his laborers into his harvest. That ought to be on our mind. That's a command. That's a sin not to be doing that. So you ought to pray for them. Secondly, is there any way you could witness to them? Now, there are some people I'll never meet, I'll never see, I'll never run in their circle, and I'm not responsible for that. But i got plenty of people around me and plenty of people that are in my circle of life that I could and certainly should be witnessing to. Why? Because the wrath of God abides on them. That's something. That's why I pray for my grandchildren every day. They need to be saved. Oh, but they're so cute and they're so sweet. You're right about that, and you don't know the half of it. But... You know the biggest problem they have? You know why they talk back? You know why they scream and fight and all of that? They don't even know what they're doing. 
because they're dead spiritually. They need to be saved. Okay? And we need to understand that. Oh, this is my little angel. Fallen angel, yeah. Right? And by the way, dads, they get their depravity from you, so don't strut too much. And we think about those kind of things. But we need to look at the world, whether they're people in our own family that we love and admire, or whether they're outside of our family and our sphere of influence. Here's the big problem they have. They are lost. Now, who is going to pray for them? And who is going to tell them about Jesus? I uh, found out lately about a guy that uh, was a pastor in Scotland. A Baptist pastor, no less. Who was a tremendous witness for Jesus Christ. He uh, started pastoring a church and then he went to another church. And uh, the church really took off and, and a lot of people were saved. And that church still exists in Scotland today. It's called Harper Memorial Baptist Church. Still there. But the main thing about Mr. Harper is he came to, um, came, was on his way to America to preach at um, Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. You may have heard of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, a church named after him. And he was on his way to the United States. You say, well, what happened? Oh, he was on the Titanic. I want you to watch a short video here and then we'll conclude about his experience there. John Harper was on the Titanic and he was going to Moody Bible Church to speak. And even when he was in the water, clinging to a board, and he was preaching the gospel to people. And there was a gentleman that survived the Titanic. He says, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away. But strange to say, brought him back a little later. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I'm not. He said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down and there alone in the night and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. That's just so beautiful, man. People will be grateful to you if you reach out to them and you share the gospel with them, you know. Let's be like John Harper, amen. Let's share the gospel with people. What would you be thinking about if you were floating on a piece of the Titanic in the icy waters of the North Atlantic? And uh, there's another part of John Harper that uh, his daughter, he was a widower, and his six-year-old daughter was on the boat. And uh, uh, another, a family member, I believe, was on the boat too. He put them on the lifeboats, kissed his daughter goodbye, and then he asked a person near him, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? The person said no. And he took his life jacket and said, you need this more than I do. And then as the ship began to go down, he was one of those who had no choice but to jump into that icy water. And while he is floating on a piece of debris from the Titanic, the last thing on his mind is to call out to people, are you saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that man who was a survivor says, I was John Harper's last convert. Can I ask you a question? Would you do that? That's hard to answer, isn't it? But I will say this. 
If Christ must increase and we must decrease, even if it is to a watery grave in the side of the Titanic, we would. We would. And there's our problem. We make too much of ourselves and our life and our safety and what we want and what we desire instead of being fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why John the Baptist could do this with joy because he knew he wasn't going to last a long time. In fact, it's not long after this that he's arrested for telling the king the truth and then later beheaded for his faith in Christ. But I got a feeling John the Baptist died with a smile, if not on his face, in his heart, because he had seen the glory of Christ increase and he was more than willing to decrease. And there you find the answer to all of our problems in the world, in our personal life and all of that, that we are not submitted to Jesus and we are not committed to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never been saved... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection paid for your sin in full. And if you will trust in Him, just like John the Baptist said, you will receive eternal life. But if not, the wrath of God already abides on you. It's just a matter of time because you're not going to live on earth forever, but you will live forever separated from God in hell. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Think about that. And so believer, think about the same thing. As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. How does that ring in your heart? Are you submissive to that? Are you willing for that? Will you rejoice in the glorification of Christ, whatever it may cost you? Think about that. Father, we come before you to say we're in awe of people like John the Baptist. How he could go through that and watch his popularity and fame diminish and yet he watched it diminish with joy. And to think about how he went to prison and was beheaded and uh, we thank you Lord for martyrs like that and the examples that they were. We think about the Apostle Paul and so many others that we know through scripture and we know through secular history as well. We think about people that we've known that they always had somebody else on their heart for the glory of God. We think about other people that would use their own pain and sorrow in order to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to remember that if we have John the Baptist understanding he must increase that means every painful hurtful thing we go through is an open door for witness just like it was for John Harper and thank you for John Harper and thank you for his witness with his dying breath and that somebody got saved and uh, lived to tell about it oh that's so inspiring thank you for that but above all we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross and the one who said, it is finished, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave for us, the one who opens the door of salvation to anyone who will repent and believe by grace through faith in Christ alone. We praise you for that and pray that in our lives that we would decrease, that you might increase. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And may the Lord bless you.